So today we're covering Monsters University. It is a sequel follow-up to Monsters, Inc., where the two of them uh, end up going into the human world because they go through the door and someone else is living there who isn't Boo, which is very strange. And then they try to find her, and then they do, but Boo's like, no, we've got to keep you hidden from the humans, because if they find you, it's the game in, and oh god, and it's this cat and mouse kind of... Oh, I'm sorry, no, that was actually the Circle 7 script that they were going to put out. Mm, my bad. Always, always with the Circle 7 scripts. You know... I was actually thinking about that. That that could have worked. It's not a terrible premise, really. And it's not like the Circle 7 people, or at least the people who were there who ended up working at Pixar and Disney Animation, don't do good stuff. After all, they did put out one of my favorite animated films of all time, Zootopia. But, you know, food for thought. What's interesting, though, there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff I have for this one, except for one big point. They really wanted to have this be a college story. Because all of the people in question, all all of the creative staff in the Brain Trust, because they were back to actually brain trusting these films, uh, said, that's where we found ourselves. That's where the self-discovery happened. Now, I am willing to acknowledge that I didn't exactly have a typical college-type situation, but um, I didn't discover Jack <laughs> in college, other than what it's like to go on a uh, unhealthy and, frankly, negligent amount of sleep while eating very poorly. So, I'm curious if anybody else, you know, discovered anything about themselves during college. This actually came up because they had a line in the first film, which even the creators acknowledged, for once they acknowledged the continuity here. I mean, it's Pixar, they're actually pretty good at that. And the line was, we've known each other since fourth grade. They found themselves trapped by that. There's actually They actually got to the point of storyboarding the scenes that were happening during fourth grade. But they felt like it dragged on the film and it hurt the pacing, and so they decided to axe it. Don't necessarily blame them. I probably would have kept it in personally, just, just to be completely honest. Because, first of all, I'm a hound for continuity, and second of all, I think you could do some stuff with that. How much you want to establish with it is up to you. After all, we do see a scene at first fourth grade in this very film when they go on the field trip to Monsters, Inc. So it's not like it would have been that hard to slide Sully in there somewhere, right? And then they'd leave each other's lives and they get back together, or, well, you know what I mean, they, they find each other again during college. There you go. Bam. Instead, they decided to just eject those scenes entirely, eject the concept entirely, and be like, yeah, no, we, it, it, we screwed up. We've decided that we're more interested in the story than continuity, so screw it. Now, on the one hand, I'm full, actually in favor of the story being more important than continuity. But on the other hand, as I feel like I just demonstrated, I feel like this would be a very easy patch fix, which would involve virtually no additional change work or effort, so I, not a lot of sympathy, you know what I mean? Whatever. Point was, they wanted to do the college thing. Nobody wants to see Monsters Elementary, right? Oh god, is that a thing now? Are they going to do that? Ha ha, Mikey's a nerd. They really hammer this point in. And I, I don't really sympathize personally, or is that empathize? Whichever one is the personal feeling with. I have the third person feeling for that one, for people who go through that. Oh, I've been ostracized, and I've been called a geek, but I never had it like this. Like this specific brand of being, you know, nobody wants you and nobody loves you. No, what happened to me was I would usually bounce around until I found the kids who would talk back to me, and then I would talk to them, and then use them to talk to other people. I was the social butterfly, as I've said many times. I know, shocking. I was the kid who got along with everyone. I was the kid who would see Mikey's and be like, beeline, 
And sometimes they were just somebody who needed a friend. And then sometimes they were legitimately creepy. It's just life, I suppose. In this case, though, Mikey is like, oh, and, and super idolized. I mean, the, the whole group idolizes all the scarers. Of course they do. We talked about that in the first film. And you'll notice how, while this film does substantially less establishment than the first film, it doesn't need to. It's a direct sequel or prequel, I suppose. It is designed to be seen afterwards. And the film is very clearly structured in such a way that as that. Let me try and explain what I mean by that. Uh, when you're designing a prequel, you have two broad possibilities. You can either design it in such a way that it is built for people who saw the first thing. So you can add in references, you can explain things, you can do callbacks, you can subvert expectations, etc. Or you can write it as though someone is supposed to see it first. And thus, even if they're seeing it out of order, out of production order, it makes more sense viewing it in literal order. And if you if you pay attention to prequels throughout gaming and shows and movies and books, you'll notice that this trend continues. And it's one of the reasons why some people prefer uh, production order and some people prefer chronological order when it comes to viewing or playing stuff, right? Sense make. In this case, however, it is extremely clear that they specifically wanted to have a thing that was, you know, you watched Monsters, Inc., now you watch Monsters University. And apparently a lot of people did. $200 million budget... Still not super high, keeping those prices low despite everything. $743 million box office. Not quite to the level of Toy Story 3, but this was another smash success, which at this point is actually kind of the norm for Pixar. If anything, it's been a noteworthy when some Pixar films have merely made decent money, like with Cars 1 and Cars 2. Speaking of which, while we're talking about that, I should probably mention, I've heard several people say, this is the film where Pixar dipped in quality. No, I've, I've heard people say that. So if any of you out there have that particular opinion, do you mind sharing why? Because nobody ever has for me. And I'll be very curious where that comes from. But I have heard that this was a simple, stupid, cash-grabby sequel that is, you know, is crap. But explanation? Curiosity. I actually rather like this film. It doesn't have the emotional core that Monsters, Inc. does, but it has a far better stru structured story, a far more interesting plot, in my opinion. And, well, I think they do more stuff interesting with the animation and with the storyboarding and the directing and the camera and all that other fun stuff that would be gameplay pluses if this was a review. I also think the final scenes are some of the best in the franchise, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I do apologize. So, they all idolize these people, of course. Mikey has a very brief t line. How about we, we structure it so the tall people stand in the back? That line, so much anger and so much aggravation. I, I want to explain why, if that's okay with you. First of all, he's right. That's the first problem. He is right. If they actually organized, this would work out much better. And as we saw in the first film, and as we see in this film, Mikey is actually pretty good at paperwork, plans, you know, coming up with stuff. He is the kind of person who should be an organizer, and he's good at it. So he's got a valid point. The second reason that aggravates me is I've been that kid and that adult many times. Last week, I was trying... This is not a joke. This is so banal. I was trying to set up the Switch. I was going to play Mario 3D World with my niece, my sis, and her husband. You know, the whole family. We were all going to play four-player co-op Mario 3D World. It took like 10 minutes for everyone to get all their controllers thing. And I'm like, please just listen to me. I, because, of course, I know exactly how to get a Switch working. It's me. <laughs> and 
they're all just doing their own things. And I'm like, no, just do this. And sister's like, no, we need to do this. And they're just ignoring me. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> this is why I say I'm a terrible leader. I know exactly what to do. And I have no idea how to get people to do it. Uh, no respect. I tell you, I don't know. No respect. So anyways, I hear him say that. I just, it, it hits such a primal wound somewhere in there. And I'm just like, oh. This is why when I ever actually take over the world, there's going to be a face person. It won't be me. You'll be like, ah, I am Sir Jeffrey Tilworth Flatsflangely, and he'll be the one actually conquering the world, and I will be the one actually running the world. <laughs> and then Mars. We got to expand soon. We got we got a lot of stuff to do. Anyway, so kid goes in. What's nice about this scene is everyone treats it just about as seriously as they can. They can't really go in after him. That would be just as dangerous. In fact, it would be more dangerous. So they have to kind of just stay back and be like, okay, let's just uh, have all the emergency personnel and just kind of wait. It's going to be okay. <laughs> They're all freaking out. I mean, you know, it makes sense, given all of the propaganda. Now, <clears throat> he. Uh, we also see in this one short scene... Uh, but this is also throughout the course of the movie, why Mikey is such a selfish, egotistical person in the first film. It's a form of compensation. Now, usually that's associated with a sex joke, but I don't mean it in any way as such. Oftentimes we will push in certain manners because we are pushing against. You know, we, we start as a negative, so we put more into it to enter into the positive range. Very simple concept, right? I will freely admit I have several issues with that myself, or I will push myself to actually play video games, for example, in a manner that is harder than usual, because I want to prove that I'm actually good at games, because I, I have self-esteem issues with regards to that. You know, I, I can admit that. I can't really do a lot about it. <laughs> it's always satisfying to prove it right, I will admit. And I imagine that's kind of the same way Mr. Wazowski feels. I'm curious if any of you understand a similar concept about whatever it is that you push about. Anywho, they, we, we see a little tidbits. We find out that they actually uh, build doors in the thing. H how? I mean, I know, I know. Magic. But I am very curious how they connect them. It's implied that the doors are connected even when they're unpowered. And by implied, I mean stated outright because they power the door from the other side. So... Ah, never mind. Let's not think about the world building too much. We already talked about that. There's actually a bit... There's this one line in this film, I caught it, that says, oh, yeah, you may be big in your town, but in this town, you're no longer big. And I was just like, okay, that's the only evidence in both films that there is something more than a small pocket dimension or a single city, but there might actually be a larger area. At very least, we can prove there's probably about two towns here. <laughs> I want to talk about something really quick. I want to talk about World of Warcraft. Now, this is so stupid. But I want to talk about this because if I gave you the real-life parallel, you'd make fun of me. And frankly, I have enough of that today. So every time I get to the Burning Crusade... This is past tense at this point because WoW doesn't work this way anymore. But every time I got to the Burning Crusade expansion in my leveling path, because I leveled like 13 characters through vanilla, oh my god. Every time I got to BC, though, there's this moment where you walk up and through the Dark Portal. And every time, because it was such a key and critical component of Warcraft 1 and Warcraft 2... Kind of of Warcraft 3. It was such a big deal and such a big moment, and it was so impacting that every time I just wanted to enjoy the moment, and there's this music swell that happens, and the camera is in positioning is perfectly positioned, so you get a really good shot of Hellfire Peninsula. 
It's all great stuff. It's brilliantly designed. It's probably getting a positive if I ever actually review WoW BC. And um, I want to enjoy that moment every time. I want to enjoy that step. And I point this out because as Mr. Wazowski is getting off, he, he looks down and there's the line right before he goes over the line into Monsters University. And he takes a moment and then just says the step. It's really short. It's like a second and a half. Far, far shorter than the thing I would, the whole ritual I was just describing when I'd walk up to the portal and walk through the portal. But that step, there's just that impact. I, I felt it. I swear to God, I felt the impact of it. Even though there was no, there was no sound effect, there was no screen shake, there was nothing. It was just there. I am curious, A, how many of you noticed that? And B, how many of you felt it too? Because I'm there. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yes. So, we get out there. Everything's awesome. We have our Bugs Life moment. Uh, again, we always got to have these in Pixar films. Uh, they have the overly enthusiastic greeters. Okay, I get along with people, and I'm a massive extrovert, but are, am I the only person that these people kind of creep out a little bit? I always felt just awkward and uncomfortable being around them. Hi, we're here to help you. Okay, thanks. I mean, I would prefer that to the alternative. One time I went to uh, the university. I almost said the name. The university I went to. And I needed to go find, uh, I think it was the library store, the bookstore, not the library store, the bookstore. And I need, sorry, I'm fighting off a massive headache. I know I apologize. Had to find the bookstore, had to get through and get to this one specific class. And instead of having the greeters on my first day, I had no one. And this was, you know, before cell phones of the, the, uh, smart variety. And so I didn't have anything to go off of other than, just the signs around the university and whoever would be willing to actually talk to me, which was, again, no one. <laughs> so, okay, sure, I'll let it go, but woof. And the clubs. Oh, the clubs. Oh, my God. Actually, I'm being facetious. I kind of like the clubs. It's it's a nice thing. It's it's a social thing. It's a it's an extracurricular kind of thing, and I love it. Um, I wasn't part of any clubs because there were no clubs at the university I went to. It was a big law firm. I didn't go there for law. It's just that's what it was. And so they were all serious. We must, we must go to our class and be completely terrible. So I didn't get this experience. Anybody else get this kind of experience? The, the, the Monsters University kind of experience? I'm actually curious. Because they're obviously going with kind of the box of cliches, but it works because they're just trying to show it off. And again, I'm fairly certain this stuff does happen. Right? It does happen to someone. Oh my God. Maybe it doesn't happen to anyone. Randall shows up. We have some prequel jokes. Gotta have the prequel jokes. I would like to say that this film accurately describes why Randall has his descent into darkness, and I would be lying if I said that. Randall is used for the cheap prequel jokes thing. He's one of the biggest missteps in the entire film. And I mean that sincerely. If you remember my rumination on Monsters, Inc., I mentioned how monsters are cool, except for two. You know, Waternoose, obvious, but Randall who is a legitimately evil person. More micro-evil, but still evil, right? I had that whole speech about that. Where the hell does that come from? I mean, you could say he was snubbed, but he kind of wasn't. He joined the Cool Kids Club. Maybe it was just his influence with them? I mean, that's when you discover stuff about your stuff, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like the film doesn't do anything with Randall other than put him there and then turn him into an antagonist. There's no arc. There's no smooth path of him turning into antagonist. Unlike, say, Sullivan, who actually has a fairly smooth arc in this particular film, from being the jock to being Sully, what we see in Randall is just, he shows up and he's the geek. 
even brings cupcakes. Okay, real talk. I'd be friends with the kid with the cupcakes because he he brought cupcakes. Um, Why? I mean, I'd be friends with everyone, but you get the point. And and he turns into, I'll never lose to you again, Sullivan. And that's, it's just, anyways, if you ejected him entirely, I honestly think think the film would be better. Negative to story. I swear these aren't reviews. It's just, that's, that's kind of how my mind thinks these days. You should see me eat. <laughs> oh, these, this X, this works really well with this tortilla. Plus to food. Um, so, there's this yellow slug who's trying to get to class on time. If you stay to the very, very, very end of the, the credits, he gets to class on, uh, well, he gets to class. <sighs> Poor slug. Anyways. <clears throat> so, Hardscrabble shows up. Played by the wonderful Helen Mirren. Oh, also, I, I gotta point this out because Alfred Molina plays Derek Knight. And I'm just, I'm a huge fan of his. He's, he's not in a lot of films, but he's, he's a really good actor and he nails his roles when he's there. And I just wanted to comment on it. That's all. He plays the professor, the scare professor. Anyways, back to Helen Mirren, who does a beautiful job as Hardscrabble. You'll notice that her intro accomplishes two things very quickly and efficiently, as usual for Pixar Norm. First of all, it's terrifying. It is the intro a villain would have. If you saw this scene without context, and then it just chopped off after she stood up in front of the class, you would say, that's the villain. Because it's so obviously presented in this way. But it also works in another way, because from an in-universe perspective, well, that's a scarer. That is the scarer at the moment. And you could see how she presents herself in a terrifying manner. Approach-style presentation. Because that's what the whole thing is about. Scaring is more than just about roaring and more than and more than just technical knowledge. It's about application, which is one of the main points of the film, actually. So Sully shows up. Son son of a famous dude. Yep, yep, yep. That I have seen. And um I I mean, no, no, they'd never have favoritism in in, in American colleges. That would be insanity. But we also see how he is the jock to Mikey's geek or nerd. I'll use the word nerd. I don't want to use the word nerd because I usually mean the way the word nerd as an insult. But the film clearly means it as an insult. Oh, look at this dork. You know, that kind of a tonality. Now, that makes sense because both of them start off at these two extremes and both of them kind of end much closer to the middle. As I talked about in Monsters, Inc., you know, Sully is far more focused on the macro far more emotional and just kind of upbeat. So, uh, Mike is far more focused on the micro, but at the same time, he still has the same general thought process. And you can see how the two of them are like right here instead of being wide over here is, is kind of my point. And unlike Randall, the two of them do have an arc throughout the course of this film. Although Mike's is rougher. Sully's is smooth. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Moving on, moving on. So, Randall really wants to be with the cool kids. Sure. Um, there's a really good scene. There's this bit where, uh, they're talking about scaring and, you know, Sullivan gets invited to the cool kids club, uh, Roar, R-O-R. And, uh, he says, look, I'm just scarier than you. And Mikey says, there's more to scaring than just, uh, actually, did I write it down the exact quote? There's more to scaring than just doing it. I hate to freeze frame on that line because it's not necessarily related to the film, but can I just gush about that line because that's so freaking true? 
One of the things that I find most aggravating about horror as a genre is it's usually just doing it. It's nice and big and obvious and loud and stupid and dumb and terrible, my opinion. I find nothing interesting about horror. And the reason I tend to push away from horror, why I tend to say no to horror games, and why I tend to say no to horror films and shows when it comes to the ruminations, is because there's just nothing there for me. There's nothing to discuss, nothing to analyze, nothing to talk about, and I don't enjoy it. Now, if you know me at all, or if you've seen my show at all, you may know that I actually am really into horrifying elements. Uh, horrifying elements of Half-Life or Assassin's Creed or uh, some of the films we've covered, actually, some of the Pixar block. Those kind of horrifying elements are beautiful, amazing, and terrible, and I love them. What's the distinction? Well, one of them was just doing it. Big, loud, obvious gore, slat, you know, just, just the overt stuff. And then you have, well, Alien, <laughs> which takes its time and knows its place and knows how to utilize it properly. I don't like Alien that much. I prefer Aliens. But I will always champion Alien as being one of the best horror films uh, ever because of, the fa of, because of this exact concept. So, can I just say, totally with Mikey on that one. So, this then leads to Nathan Fillion, who plays a jerk. That's kind of weird, actually. It feels weird hearing Fillion, who's, who's a cool guy in real life, by all accounts, and tends to play, you know, chill people, and he's, he just plays a jerk. It's really strange. Anyways, <clears throat> so this then leads to Mikey catching the pig, not anyone else. And then we have a montage where things get better and things get better. You see where this is going. You know, Mikey is working his best and becoming better and awesome, and Sullivan is just sitting on his laurels and not accomplishing anything. It's okay, though. He's, you know, he's got that Sullivan name going for him, so he's probably good. One moment. Just checking on recording thing on the levels. We're good. Cool. This, uh, hmm. Do I want to talk about the theme here? <laughs> Mike uh, gels pretty well with Ooze Beta Kappa. Or Ooze a Kappa? Oh, shoot, I wrote it down. I thought I wrote it down. Uzma, that's it. Uzma Kappa. I knew there was another M in there. Uzma Kappa. And, I mean, that makes sense. He's been kind of an outsider and kind of an outcast and kind of a, you know, a dork as the film presents it throughout most of his life, at least since fourth grade. So you could see why he would gel with these people. And he, of course, thinks he's totally got everything. And that's because he has the knowledge and know-how. And in a way, he's right, but he's also extremely wrong. First, he has to make a Princess Bride reference. I'll give you that one. And then we see the toxic urchins. You know, I have a theory that uh, Miss Hardapple, or, oh god, what's her name? I've already forgot it. Hard Scrabble? Hard Scrabble? Helen Mirren's character, I think it's Hard Scrabble, is in on it. That she is aware of the myth, aware of the masquerade about children. Whether there's a masquerade or not, but she's aware of the myth. And there's several pieces of evidence for this, only like two or three throughout the film. But part of the reason I bring this up, oh, by the way, the biggest piece of evidence just to give my work here is the, the fact, the way she interacts once Mike goes through the, the door. You know, we have to insist on waiting to the authorities. We have to get the CDA here. This has to be a thing, yada, yada, yada. So th there's a degree of sense making in the fact that she is insisting that th nobody is going to do anything despite the obvious supposed danger because she needs to make sure the authorities deal with this properly, right? So 
Anyways, if she's in on it, that would, well, A, make a lot of sense because you want educators to be in on this kind of propaganda, and B, would help to explain things like these little urchins. Human kids are toxic! And we're going to demonstrate that by having you go through this course. Remember, she helped design this entire event. Not this specific one, but the very concept of the event. That's why she's present at each one of these. And this helps to have people have the physical pain of it, and they get to see the other students who go through it. So it's quietly and overtly reinforced. Humans toxic. Anyways, so we got to work together, team. Yeah! We gotta get this together. Yeah! I'm gonna beat you to the end of this race. They get extremely lucky here. They almost torpedo their entire careers because of this one act of stupidity and competition between the two of them. Whole team has to cross. But thankfully, one of the other teams was cheating. But as pointed out, they got lucky. Now, that was their first attempt, which failed. So their second attempt is Mikey... I keep calling him Mikey. I don't know why. Mike decides to... Uh, take charge and say, everyone do exactly what I do. And uh, that doesn't go well. <laughs> and that effectively fails completely until uh, Dawn actually has the idea to misdirect. And then the team as a group uses their talents to get through. If it wasn't for that, well, then they would have been screwed again. So both times, Mike has actually sabotaged his own efforts. I do want you to keep that in mind, because Sullivan hasn't exactly been helping in either case. Sully actually sabotaged both events as well. It's just he got lucky the first time, and he had a team that backed him the second time. Okay. So, <laughs> college pranks uh, can go to hell. I don't really have anything else to add to that. There's always work in the... They're always hiring in the mailroom. Hmm. Now, the mother listening to thrash metal when they leave off, that actually got a legitimate laugh out of me. I'll give you that one. It's the first joke that actually landed for me, and, and like I said, got a legitimate... By the way, not my first time seeing this film, just to make that clear. I, I guess that's obvious since I referenced it during Monsters, Inc., but I just want to be nice and open about that. They do another movie montage thing. Everything's cool. But there's this one bit I wanted to point out. They go to the scare floor. Well, they sneak on board and they go look at the scare floor. And it's the first bonding moment between Mike and Sully. It's the first moment where the two connect on any level. And can I just gush about how they connect? Because what they connect about is shared enthusiasm. We are, of course, very social creatures. And we love to share and enthuse about the things we're really into. And so find there's just a unique, weird feeling about finding someone who's into something that you are also into and just trading shop, right? Shop talk. And I love that that's that first connecting thread between the two. And they build more as they go throughout things. There's a lot of montages in this, but, you know, they do some good stuff. They do some good stuff. They do some very good teamwork. And, of course, this leads to them actually starting to accomplish stuff now that they're actually working as a group and working as a team. This also leads to more and more people cheering for them, which makes perfect sense. I mean, everybody loves the underdog, right? So, Mike, uh, Mike has a wonderful point. I actually got an, it got another one of those really deep chuckles that everyone says is extremely villainous when I'm really laughing at something. Uh, Fillion's character, Fillion's character, Nathan Fillion. I don't even know his name. I don't care. He shows up and horned dude. He shows up and is like, don't worry. No one's going to remember you when you lose. 
That's true, but everyone's going to remember if you do. And it just, it hits him like a ton of bricks, because he's right. No one really notices or cares if the losers lose, but if the winners lose, well, that gets attention. That's not going away. Enjoy that stain on your record. So Sully tries to help him be scary and teach scary, and that's cool. We have the scare simulator. That's cool. We have the varying settings. We have the varying setup. Uh, neat little stuff. Good, good way to track things. It is, of course, just a simulator, but whatever. It's very close. And then the film does the very expected thing. He nails it. And just, and he wins right at the last second. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Claire Wheeler loses it over this. That actually got a smile out of me, too. She was the pseudo-goth uh, lady. Oh, by the way, at the party, you notice all the goth chicks are all just standing in the corner just kind of doing this. I would have wandered over and be like, hey. I got along pretty well with the goth kids. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's cool. They win. Oh, oh. And Mike figures it out. Mike figures out that, you know, Sully cheated. This... Yeah. This leads to the bad stuff. Because Mike goes to prove. To prove it. He plays Mega Man without using the special powers. Or he tries to get through Dark Souls without using you know the, the, the drink. Or he tries to get through uh, Kingdom Hearts without blocking. Yeah. Um, he goes in. No games. No sim. Just actual kid. If you paid attention, there's a really brief line where one of the kids who's walking out of the, uh, of the door construction facility is like, man, I worked all semester on that. And it's like, yeah, you must have just gotten one little variable wrong. And it's the tiniest bit of foreshadowing that this isn't a normal door. And it isn't because it leads to a camp with lots and lots of kids. You will notice, by the way, that in Monsters, Inc., they never do this. Now, we could argue if it's tech-related or not, as in the, the animator's tech, the, the, the Pixar tech. I don't think it is. There's just, given the propaganda line, there's too many possibilities of something going wrong if you go after an entire group of kids. I mean, one of them might not be scared. Remember, they matched people to monsters. Or one of them might call for the adults, or one of them might come after you. And something, either the masquerade might fall, the monster might not get out, or they might sabotage that particular facility. So this is a thing you just wouldn't do. It's just too much of a risk, despite the amount of additional scream energy you might get out of it. This would probably also explain why Waternoose, who was desperate, wouldn't even think about trying this. Because, again, this would just torpedo things and make things worse, rather than just straight-up kidnapping children. It's easier to get away with, given the circumstances. Messed up, but true. So Mike goes in and tries to scare the girl, and what he gets out of her is one gasp. I paid attention. All of the kids, the only thing he ever gets out of anyone is, and that's it. <laughs> now, I don't know how valid that is, considering he's a much better laugher than he is a scarer. That kind of tracks, but it really hammers the point in. So Sullivan rushes in. This is also when... Uh, Hard Scrabble is just like, no, no one else is going through this freaking door. Chakong, turning off the thing, get out of the room, leave. Again, I think she's in on it. But this is, so Mike's standing by the, the pond, and there's a great character moment there. Stuff like this is what I really do love about Pixar. I mean, there's some cool ideas, and there's some great animation. 
And then there's a little green dude with a giant eyeball and a giant fuzzy blue and pink dude. Monster bear looking dude. And you know what? It's the most human relatable scene in the film. They like to do that. They've been doing that. They will continue to do that going forwards. Mike had to prove it and he was wrong. I thought if I tried enough, I thought if I did it enough and kept at it, I could prove to everyone that I'm somebody special. But I'm not. That is adult storytelling. That is mature storytelling. If you've ever heard me use that phrase before, this is the Ur example. Because this touches very strongly and powerfully on the central theme of the entire work. Failure. That horrible, horrible fear of trying and doing and applying and working and failing. As with another Pixar work I shan't mention, what we do with that failure is also important and is something that is also a part of this film. How do we deal with that? How do we cope with that? Where do we go after we have failed? Picture it. Put it into your mind if you can. Or remember if you were there. You're going to college. How much expectation is on you? How much must be done? You have to succeed. I mean, especially here in the States, college is uh, really expensive. You need that degree, and you need to do, to apply that degree. And all of that weight, both financial and metaphorical, and whatever might expectation might be upon you, either from yourself or your family or your friends or your loved ones or whoever else, or just general society. I mean, we're kind of walking out of this a little bit, but for a really long time there, if you didn't have a degree, you weren't worth jack. Go get a job at fast food, you loser, was the attitude. And I'm sure several of you have heard that phrase, possibly word for word, before. I know I have. So, this, this whole thing. Ah, that failure. And of course... So often in fiction, you know, they just, they just try hard enough and sheer will wins it out. And while I admit I like that idea, at the same time, it doesn't track. It's, it's not adult or mature for sheer willpower to win it out. Instead, what usually happens is you try really hard and then, well, you don't completely fail, but you don't completely succeed either. And you'll notice that's what happens here. Mike treats himself as a total failure. He is wrong. Oh, sure, he, he failed the scare program. He is not scary. He is not a scarer. But to call him a complete failure is actually inaccurate. As Sullivan points out to him towards the end of the film, a lot of what happened was pushed and directed by him. He is an invaluable person. Just because he isn't what he thought he was doesn't mean he has no value. There's a lesson for you. Sullivan actually has pretty much the exact same thing. The problem is, while Sully's line is great, and Goodman nails the the, the, the delivery, you know, most of the time I'm terrified. That is, it's a great line and a great delivery. And I, I wish that it had uh, a little bit more breathing room around it, because then we got to get back to the chase sequence. But it once again showcases how he also doesn't really have a certainty about who or what he is. He also has those same expectations. He also feels like a failure. Showed up and didn't even have a pencil. 
there's implications here. And if you pay attention, and this is actually my only my second time watching this film, but paying attention, I noticed there were quite a few signs throughout the work that Sully wasn't quite the jock he was portraying himself as. It's just that was his default. That was his, oh, God, I've got to revert to standard mode, right? That was the mask. And he wore that mask, and it kept slipping because it's, because it's not him. He's not a jock. He's not that kind of personality. We saw that in Monsters, Inc. So he's, you know, doing his whole thing. And uh, he admits this. And there's this great line where Mike tells him, don't be a Sullivan. Just be you. Just be you. Good stuff. Identity keeps coming into Pixar films, I swear. This uh, leads to them teaming up. I want to talk about the scene where they scare the adults because it's really well done. You notice how they actually show their work here a little bit. First, you have a series of things to get your attention. Each one is actually innocuous in its own way, but each one also happens rapid fire, so the person doesn't really have a chance to process. At no point can the brain say, oh, well, that's just such and such, because while the brain is in the middle of processing that, it immediately catches onto the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then there's a pause, and then there's movement. Okay, something's in here. And now, what's happening is you are being encouraged to think all of these random occurrences were happening because of the movement. There's something in here. That's what's causing it. Okay, so now we're tense. Now we're a little bit, ex you know, we're a little bit more on edge. And then you start to imply that something is actually stalking you by the nature of how they were moving and where they were moving, so that it feels like it's closing in. And now the defensive mechanisms start to kick in, and the fight or flight mechanism starts to kick in. And then there's this great bit where they tie the rope behind them so that when they back up instinctively, they'll fall over it and fall back onto their backs so that when Sully approaches them, chakung, and then roar. Pay shot, or money shot, or whatever that's called. Pay dirt. Touchdown. I'm going to go touchdown. I think that works a little bit better. And it blows out the machines and allows them to escape. Also proving that they could connect from the other side, as I mentioned earlier. Adult screams seem to be stronger than kids' screams, too. Which makes perfect sense, actually. Why don't they go after adults for screams? Think about it. <laughs> if nothing else, there's probably a return on investment thing there. You know, cost versus benefit. So they're expelled. This... <laughs> this is brilliant. First, I love how, as they're being expelled, as he's leaving, there's a moment and he just takes... A step. Did you catch that? I'll admit I never saw the second step before. There's three steps. But I never saw the second one where he just... Step. Because it's over. It's done. He's not going to Monsters, Monsters University now. So they have their last moment. Awesome moment. But can I just say that this is why this film really nails it for me. Because this all makes sense. Allow me to use a comparison with another film that does the exact opposite of this where it aggravates the hell out of me. Star Trek 2009. Now, in that, Chris Pine's uh, Captain Kirk breaks the rules and does the strange thing and you know, is busted out and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the film, he is made captain. Now, that is such a Hollywood thing to do. It, 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 it irritates me, not because I don't want the people to succeed and not because I don't want to be rewarded for doing the right thing, because it just ignores consequences. And if there's one thing I am really, really big about in fiction, it is consequences. And here, them getting expelled makes perfect sense. They really did break the rules, both of them, really badly. They should be lucky they're not in jail. Instead, they're merely expelled. But the rest of the group, they get to go into the scare program, and that's awesome. 
Also, they're probably going to be good laughers in a few years when it gets to that. And so that's the first part. We see Ratzenberger as a mailman. Ha ha ha. But then, and they also do make the delivery record, which I thought was great. I love this, though, because then... I don't even know how to put how much this this is awesome to me. Because they follow the exact same mentality from earlier. They just don't do it in a fairy tale way. They do it in a real life way. Because real life isn't take step and then win. You don't just go and have willpower and then things work out. No, you work for it. And you try for it. And you, you struggle and you accomplish and you achieve. At least that's the hope, isn't it? Because <laughs> that's what happens, right? This is the Pixar Tears moment for me, by the way. Right at the end. They go and they apply and they work at the mailroom. Then they get boosted up to janitor. And then they get boosted up to work. And, and, and they work their way up the company through the exact same perseverance and the same application of who and what they are. They do accomplish their dreams. And this explains a tiny little tidbit, which I don't think ever really worked for me until I saw this film the second time. Because I noticed they're very friendly with everyone. And I remembered they're very friendly with everyone in the first film, too, which makes perfect sense. Is it because Sully is this big star? Well, I mean, yeah, probably. But it's also because the two of them have been working at the company for years at virtually every level, crawling their way up from the bottom, and thus would be familiar with all of the people who work at that company. It will also probably help both of them run the company in the future after, you know, after Monsters, Inc. has ended. And I gotta say, it's, it's, it's just, there's just something really, I don't know, there's something really heartwarming about it. Excuse me, because any world in which people can actually, you know, start at the bottom and legitimately have vertical movement in a company, well, I think more than anything else, that proves that the monsters really are I'll see you next time, guys.